0: Business
1: Podcast. Proximity is power. Registration for our executive boardroom is still open. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. All right. So today on the Game of Business Podcast, I'm so excited to be here with Deb Battersby. Deb and I worked together for years Um, when I was um, a part of the Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership Group. And Deb has been a, uh, well, she started out her career as a real estate broker. And then as the market began to, I like the term you use, Deb, soften. I would call it collapse in 28, <laughs> 2008, eight, nine. She just kind of uh, organically got into this consulting business. She was a part of the Tony Robbins organization um, as, part of the, as part of the leadership program going back to 91. And she's been a faculty member since 97. But when that market got soft, somebody inside of the Tony group had asked her to do some consulting or advising for him. And and she did that. And then that led to her working with his company and and the company leaders. And then organically, it just grew from there. And I can tell you firsthand, this woman is an amazing powerhouse. She's moved me in in multiple areas inside of my life. And recently, about a year ago, she published a book. It's an Amazon International. Is it an Amazon International bestseller? Okay, great. And it's called Freedom Point, and it's um, about help, healing your heart, which is um, awesome. Uh, I can't wait to hear about this, Debs. And I'll give you some framework. I believe there's eight fundamental building blocks in business, and I won't go into all of them there, but I do believe that the cornerstone is the psychology right which is why you're on with me today because if our psychology is screwed up it doesn't matter if you've got an MBA it doesn't matter if you've been in business for 30 years it doesn't matter if you're an expert in all the other seven areas if your psychology is screwed up you'll never maximize who you're going to be and how you're going to show up as a leader inside of your business so with that i would love to turn it over to you and and start off by saying tell me a little bit about your book and the framework you use to help people like me when our psychology gets all kind of hinky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you for this opportunity, first of all, Jared. I'm, I'm delighted to be with you today. Now, the, my book is Freedom Point, and it is kind of a, a, a summary of how I help people create transformation in their own lives. And Freedom Point kind of evolved, you know, the whole title Freedom Point, because it it occurred to me that when I was describing to people what our objective is, is, um, you know, in the work that I do, I'm always looking for that point, the point at which the subconscious is actually free to shift from old perceptions, old beliefs, old behaviors, old patterns. And so after I heard myself saying that, I don't know how many dozens of times that essentially what we're looking for is the freedom point. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. It's the point at which everything can shift because what I look for in the coaching and consulting process is I'm not looking for change. I'm looking for transformation because what happens in transformation, if, if you think of the example of the, the butterfly, you know, caterpillar starts out, goes into a chrysalis and emerges as a butterfly. The reality is that butterfly never gets to go back to the caterpillar, never, can't happen. And so when we change things in our lives, we can condition that change, really work at it and be disciplined about it. But sometimes something in the environment will trigger an upset that all of a sudden, all that condition change goes out the window and we're back to the caterpillar. We're back to that same mindset, those same fears, those same worries and concerns. And because I have been an avid student of the whole personal development genre for more than 40 years now, that I was always looking for what's the difference between this conditioned change and real transformation? And how can you actually deliberately create transformation? Because all of us have had transformational experience in our lives, but we don't, Orchestrate them. We experience in them, and, and oftentimes they seem so random. It could be a conversation with somebody. It could be a traumatic event. It could be an adventure. It could be an experience. But something shifts your consciousness. Yes, so, I,
1: I, 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 and I'll tell you, um, when we first met, we were doing work. I would say, um, in, in my business world, you know, pretty much every part of my life at that point, I felt like. Eh, that's not even true. I'm I'm even lying to myself. I was not in the greatest shape physically. Um, I did have very little connection to the divine. My relationship was rocky, but my business was great. And what I realized when I think back about when we were together and doing that coaching back in, I think it was 16, 17 timeframe initially, I was a one-dimensional man. I had become an ATM thinking I was doing my job the way I was supposed to. So I probably, when we met, I probably came across as very confident um, and had my shit together. <laughs> and in reality, while um, I am solid in most m- multiple of those areas now, um, I, I'm more of a shit show now than I was back then. <laughs> <laughs> which, it, which is great because this is I want to hear about this transformational piece because I'll be going along and feel like I'm on top of the world again for a couple of weeks but I've got going on in my life. And then all of a sudden there'll be a weekend or a day or maybe even a week. And it's just like, how how do we get somebody like me who's experienced the top, but is feeling like he's in the pit to make that transformational shift so that it's not like you wake up in the morning and you have to consciously consciously create a beautiful state. You just shift back into that beautiful state as a natural part of your being.
0: Well, I, that's a really good question. Not <laughs> always easy to answer, and the the reality is that. Yeah, when things are going well, it's easy for us to have the willpower and the discipline to do the things that we know are going to produce great results in our lives. It's when things aren't going well that the the fear, the worry, the doubt, the, you know, the self-criticism, the second guessing, the, you know, the the whole thing collapses and and you're into old behaviors. And most of those well i guess i don't know if it's most or if not all of those behaviors are really based on fear that there's a fear that something's not going to work you know there's a fear that i'm not enough the fear that i don't know enough the fear that i don't have enough time the fear that i don't have the knowledge i don't have the skill set whatever it is a fear kicks in and throws us back into those old doubts. And, you know, there's a beautiful aspect to that. And and this is where I guess I depart from a lot of, you know, perspective in, in this whole genre is that every emotion that you experience is here to serve you, every single one of them. And the fear is really just an indication that something's not right. That there's, you know, that something has gone awry that you haven't addressed. And most of us just think that fear means you're going in the wrong direction, or that you're not capable and you, you know, need <clears throat> to step on or back off. But most of the time, fear just really is there to say, you're not as prepared as you think you are that it's time to prepare, step back, assess your situation more accurately, more honestly. Fear may say you're going into uncharted territory, you know, kind of get your wits about you, c- gather as much information as you can on what's really going on. So fear is, is, it's that alarm bell that says there's something going on that you don't know about and that you need to get some insight or clarity around that.
1: Right. Um, just on that. So we, you, I don't know if we said it right before this call or right after we started, but you talked about your um, the point framework
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and I'm wondering, so there's uh, the guy on the wall behind me. He used to, he used to say back when I was following him uh, around the world um, that what do you say? Um, the quality of your life is the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably manage. Now, Mm -hmm. what I'm, my understanding now years later is when there's uncertainty in our lives, that brings on fear. And a a example that came up with me over the last few days is if Mike Tyson was my next door neighbor and he came out and he said, Hey, there's a 50% chance that I'm going to come punch you in the face sometime in the next 365 days and you won't see it coming. I'd be living in fear thinking about when this is going to happen. It may never happen.
0: It may never happen,
1: but I'm going to worry about it for 365 days, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just saying, well, why don't you just make it a hundred percent chance and punch me in the face right now and and be done with it, right? So I don't know if you're, I'm wondering how This is probably the most messed up question, but does your system allow people to move past that concept of living in fear for 365 days? Well, yeah, Um,
0: it does. Because the, the whole point is, actually, Freedom Point is really all about acknowledging what you're actually feeling. You know, I, I I know there there is a time when change your state is appropriate. You know, you need to manage a situation, you need to pull yourself together, and you need to shift into ultimate go mode or confidence or whatever it is that you need in that moment. But the rest of the time... It's essential that you actually pay attention to what you're feeling, because pretending you're not afraid is not going to change the fear. And, you know, avoiding that is not going to give you the guidance that the fear is intending. So from my perspective, what I've learned in order to create these transformational experiences that every single emotion you experience is there for your highest good. And if you believe that you won't run from it, you'll confront it. And so I want to confront the fear and say, okay, fear, if you really are here to serve me, what's your intention? What are you here to do? And if it's for my benefit, tell me, what is it? Nine times out of 10, fear is going to say, I'm here to protect. I'm here to protect you. I'm holding you back because where you're about to go is dangerous. I want you to, if you're going to go this route, be smart about it. You know, don't go in blindly, really gather some intel. Fear says, maybe fear says be cautious. It doesn't say stop, quit, you're not enough. It says I'm here to protect you. And the reality is that most Oh, gosh, so many of the entrepreneurs that I deal with, um, that so many of their decisions are based on fear without understanding the real guidance of fear. And by the way, once you really tap into that fear and open yourself to receiving the intention, the real message and guidance behind it, that fear will go because it's done what it came to do. If you continue to push it away, deny it, negate it, pretend it's not there, it only grows because it's trying to get through to you to let you know that something's not right. Something needs to be addressed. Now, you know, the fear that you're not enough. I know, gosh, isn't that the Mm -hmm. human dilemma? And, um, you know, the fear that you're not enough comes very early in Mm -hmm. life because almost every human being I've ever run into has had an experience early on where they weren't chosen. They might be the middle child of three and the older one is getting praised for something and the little one's screaming their head off and mom and dad go to the other two and they don't go to the middle child. That child instantly forms an opinion, a perception that somehow they're not enough. They didn't get picked. You didn't get picked for the volleyball team or the, you know, the baseball team. You didn't win the spelling bee. You didn't get straight A's in school. You weren't teacher's pet. You didn't get picked. You weren't chosen. And every single one of us has had that experience on some level. And by the way, if you haven't had that, bless your heart, but you will at some point, (laughs) it's gonna happen. And so, you know, that fear of not being enough is a catalyst for so many of us to try harder, to do more, to commit more time and energy to excellence. You know, that fear of not enough is oftentimes the thing that spurs our greatest success. The only challenge with that fear is that it never stops until it is shifted on a subconscious level. Because how do you know the, the fascinating thing about the subconscious is that it will do whatever it needs to do to protect you in the moment. And that's where these fears arise. The challenge is uh, and this is my experience of, you know, 20 years of doing this kind of work, my experience is the subconscious doesn't know when you don't need that fear anymore. It has locked that pattern into place to ensure that you're going to try harder, do more, succeed, excel, do whatever it takes. And because it is rewarded, it is perpetuated, and it becomes a way of being. I
1: I, it's interesting that you talk say this. I think that the word anxiety is the business person's word for fear. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and I used to went, man, when I, when I was on the top of the business world in my manufacturing business, I had anxiety. How am I going to keep it all together? Uh, If this client goes, I'm going to lose it all. And even when I should be just, just chilling and enjoying it, I still had this underlying anxiety. And somebody told me that um, anxiety, how is this? Anxiety and excitement or fear and excitement are on the same neural pathway in your brain. I don't know if, okay, you're you're nodding. And and so it's the opposite sides of the same coin. And so what I, okay. So what I started doing was for me, when I feel fear or anxiety, I feel it right here in my chest and the worse it is, the harder it gets. And it's an actual feeling. And so when I get that feeling, I'll check in and go, what is it? And, And I don't even know what I'm, why I'm feeling it necessarily
0: mm-hmm. just
1: I just when I notice it then I check in what is it that I'm worried about what am I thinking about what am I you know because mm-hmm. all these programs running in the background and I figured out and what I've realized from my perspective is your brain is designed to protect you and find the saber-toothed tiger only there's no more saber-toothed tigers it's oh I'm gonna lose my client I'm gonna lose my business I'm not gonna pay my rent blah 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 and, and so it's it's searching and it's creating this stuff in your body that was you know this adrenaline spike that was designed to help you escape the say your tooth tiger but I mean that's not there so you find out okay what is it and what's the and then your mind is finding the worst case scenario right this is the worst case scenario how often in your life does the worst case scenario happen one out of a hundred one out of a thousand pretty rare that it does happen though It's usually somewhere between reality and the worst case scenario that happens when it's on that spectrum. So I have a couple of things I I would, I would play it out and, and ask myself, okay, the worst case scenario happens. And then what happens? What's my next move? And then what happens? And then what happens? And I can always find that within about seven steps or even less, I'm back above where I began. So that helps calm my nervous system down, Right.
0: I think there's a a lot of brilliance in that strategy, Jared, because the first thing is whatever emotion you're feeling that to recognize it and look for it in the body, because when you look for in the body, then, you know, it's an energy that's real, you know, and the physical sensation is the key to, you know, tapping into whatever that energy is, you know, from my perspective, I look at all emotion as energy and information so I don't judge it as bad or good it's energy and information and it has a job to do so once you locate it in your body you know uh, the questions that I ask and you know Jared you and I did a lot of this kind of questioning back when we were working together and that is once you tap into it the first question is why are you here that's the first thing I ask. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? And then, you know, the premise behind this is that if if you actually trust that it's here to serve you, then you can ask the next question. You know, that and that's it is it goes with the presupposition that you are here to serve. Okay. So anxiety. Here I feel you heavily, you know, in my upper chest, it gets tight. And, you know, so why are you here? And It might say, look, I'm here to protect you, or I'm here to make sure you're thinking ahead. You've already said that, you know, that I'm asking the question, well, if the worst case scenario happens, then what, then what, then what? So anxiety says, hey, I'm here to help you anticipate what's coming or may come. I'm here to help you navigate some possibilities. I'm here to help you consider Plan B, plan C. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like, that's why anxiety is here. It's here to do exactly what you were doing. Anticipate. And the reality is we know if we can anticipate opportunity as well as risk, we can plan for it.
1: And yet many business owners and entrepreneurs that feel this, they sedate
0: and of get course. The feelings to go away with alcohol and
1: drugs or porn or whatever it is
0: because they think the anxiety is going to prevent them from doing what they need to do when in fact the anxiety is say hey wake up there are some things you need to consider here before you move ahead i'm not telling you don't move ahead but i am telling you there's opportunity and there's risk you need to anticipate both and so you know you and I both are big fans of Keith Cunningham. And Keith says, you need thinking time. Thinking time is a lot about anticipation. What could go wrong? What could go right? Where are there opportunities? Where's the risk? Where's the hidden things I'm not willing to look at? And what are the things that I'm ignoring? Because anxiety will come to tell you, there's some shit here you're not paying attention to. There's stuff you're ignoring, and you're pretending it's not there. And the anxiety says, hey, wake up, be real, stop pretending.
1: I'm going to take a quick little detour here but since you dropped Keith's name. And I, because I also want anybody who's going to be watching this to realize if you need a, a, a coach, this is the woman for you. And I I use Keith Cunningham. This guy is a nine-figure net worth entrepreneur, amazing individual, moved me in forward in business, uh, further, faster than anybody along with Tony, that those two are amazing one, two punch. But when I first went to Keith, I don't know that you even know this, Deb. He, he said uh, my first ever meeting with him, I was, t- he said, you need to do some more thinking time. And I go thinking time. I need more doing time. I can't go five minutes without somebody <laughs> coming in my door and interrupting me. And he goes, well, you've got a culture problem. I, and I stopped and went, yeah, no, I don't have a culture problem. He goes, I'm telling you, you have a culture problem. I'm like, Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. That's what I want to talk about. So we, you know, blazed on past that about eight. I don't know if you even remember this. About eight months later, I was talking with you and um, I was explaining something. I don't know what it was, but you're like, hey, look in this direction. You might have a culture problem. And (laughs) I did... And I did have a culture problem and I figured it out and it's to this day, it's one of my strongest suits as far as helping companies turn around is the culture piece. So um, I want to say thank you because you got me to move and shift where Keith did not
0: <laughs> It's it's my soft touch, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think if, if two people you really respect tell you you're, you might want to be doing something different, maybe you should listen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just too much in my ego back then for, to hear it the first oh, time. Oh, my so. gosh.
0: Aren't we all? Because we do think that sometimes our confidence and our ego is a big part of what gets us to, you know, where we are and, and what we're where we're proud to be. And that really is only a small piece of it. The ego is a necessary part of all of us. And the, the healthier it is, and not necessarily the stronger it is, the healthier it is the more effective we can be. And, you know, what what I notice about, I, I absolutely love entrepreneurs and that's why, you know, my clients are entrepreneurs. And the reason I love them is because they know that whatever challenge they're facing, they're the ones who are gonna have to fix it. They're not relying on the world to make things right for them. They're not relying on circumstances to always go their way. And I truly do believe that entrepreneurs are going to be far more equipped to handle the challenges that we face as a species than any government or religion or academic arena you could possibly imagine. So I I just, it takes a lot of guts to, you know, go out and make your way in the world and, and create and design a world that you want. And so that's, you know, my hats off to all entrepreneurs, because that is, that is a willingness to change what is into something that you want to be, and rather than accepting what's going on around you. So, and, you know, mindset, you know, a lot of people like talk about mindset in psychology. um, And I just think there's a huge piece missing in all of it. And that is the intelligence of your own emotional guidance. And, you know, for me, you know, we talk about depression and anxiety and worry and fear and doubt and all that crap, that if you only understood that that was your own intelligence trying to get through to you, not to any way hamper you or hinder you, but literally to protect you and guide you, we have a completely erroneous perception of what I call the emotional communication system. Um, I think um, Abraham Hicks may refer to it as the emotional guidance system. It's very similar in perception, but for me, it's that if you think of your emotions as communication from your own higher intelligence and that there is a system innate within every human being that allows us to access this information. It's a sensory experience. You feel it in your body. And if it's a human system, from my perspective, it has to be flawless because the respiratory system, the endocrine system, the um, muscular system, the cellular system, the immune system, think of one system in the body that is flawed without trauma of some kind, those systems are beyond magical. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, that emotional communication system is equally flawless and designed only for your number one, your survival, and then your full expression. So my advice to anybody out there is like, stop treating your feelings as the enemy They are the most sophisticated um, communication you could possibly have. So when you feel it, own it, tap into it, literally feel it. Don't push it away. Don't change your state unless you have to, in the moment, go into that feeling and connect with it. And when you get good at doing that, uh, you can ask the questions like you've been asking, Jared. You know, why are you here? What's the worst case scenario if I do this and this and this, you know, so that's kind of the premise of my work. I I will tell you that this transformation that I'm looking for is facilitated when you get out of the conscious mind and you drop into a lower brainwave frequency, because we think the conscious mind runs the show you know so we're in this beta brainwave all the time but the reality is the conscious mind is only executing based on what the subconscious is demanding and so the subconscious runs the show it's kind of like okay you're on a diet you don't you're saying i'm i'm not going to eat carbs for the next month and 2 seconds later you're picking up a donut and, and but you said you weren't going to and the conscious mind says well That was my intention the subconscious mind says sorry that's not what we're doing and so it's like once you drop into that theta or or alpha or and then theta brainwaves you can tap into the intelligence that's beyond the conscious mind and that is where i find the truth and wisdom that comes out of that kind of blows my mind every time Uh, because and I get to play in this playground in a way that allows me to tap into what I call the genius of humanity Mm
1: -hmm. and it
0: isn't something I provide it's something I invite out just by you know the process that we use and the questions that we ask because the reality is the subconscious mind has from what I've heard or what I've experienced from different teachers over the years is that the subconscious is our actual link to the quantum field.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, that it is that it's the tough thing.
1: How do you get your conscious mind out of the way? Especially when you've
0: got an ego. (laughs) Well, and the beautiful thing is that's why meditation is becoming so Prominent. I mean, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years, but it's really made its way, particularly into the business environment, because meditation is one of the first ways that you can drop out of that conscious noise into subconscious. And so sometimes in those meditations, that's a perfect time to ask the question of fear and anxiety. So
1: I I remember um, when I first started being exposed to meditation, I think Tony was doing it in the beginning. I'm like, what a bunch of woo-woo stuff (laughs) when I first got involved in it. And then I went to Warrior, a place called Warrior. And they say meditation is one of your points you get every day. And I would try to meditate in the beginning. And my mind was always all over the place. I'm like, I can't do this. And I hear this from a lot of people. Uh, I can't do it. My mind's not set. And, you know, it takes years for me to slow it down, but there's still some days where uh, this runaway train is not going to slow down. Right. Are there tips and pointers that you have for that?
0: I I would say, and this is something that I I use with all my clients, particularly to, you know, to (laughs) get out of that conscious, busy mind. And it's it's something that I, I use for myself as well. And, you know, if you've done any kind of meditation in yoga or uh, any other practices, meditation usually begins with following the breath, just paying attention to the breath. And so for me, you know, I will guide an experience of just follow the movement of the breath and just let each breath take you deeper into connection deeper into awareness deeper into access and so after doing a lot and obviously closing your eyes shutting out all the you know external stimuli and paying attention to the breath but also paying attention to the feelings that go with it you know when i say follow the movement of the breath I'll just say, notice on the inhale how the belly expands, rib cage opens, lungs fill, chest lifts, shoulders shift slightly. Notice as much subtle movement as you can. And as you're noticing this, then you know a, a few deep breaths into it. I will recommend you, you do something like box breathing, where you mm-hmm. breathe in, you know, you inhale to a count of four, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of four. Hold for a count of four and then begin. Inhale. So, again, you're concentrating on your breathing, you're tapping into your body. And when you really go to the breath, the conscious mind doesn't have a lot of time to think. It's really focused on the breathing. And usually, once you're in that space, you know, it's, and I say intentionally as you're doing that you know maybe three or four times you're doing that box breath and then to drop into uh, i'll tell you I'll show you how I do it it's just kind of like um inhale count of 4 hold count of 4 exhale count of 4 hold count of 4 and on that last group when i say hold for a count of 4 i just tell myself to drop into the hold because it's this quiet space, drop into the hold, and then just be, and then just continue the slow, deep breaths. And so, I'm usually able to take someone into that that place very quickly. And so, it's it's a way that I kind of guide myself into it because my conscious mind is a busy little girl. She's always thinking and challenging stuff. So it's hard for me to shut her up. So that's one of the ways I do it. And hopefully that would be helpful for your listeners as well.
1: Yeah. I think for me, it's when, when I've got the anxiety train, the fear train running, Mm -hmm. that's when it becomes almost impossible to to drop into the meditation. So, that's for me, it's like, okay, what's that little pointer? Because I always remember when we worked together, you'd say, where, if anywhere in the body, is the emotion called or whatever. And what I'll do a lot of times in my meditation is I'll just, once I've calmed down, I'm like, where, if anywhere in the body, can I find the divine spark?
0: Mm, I love that.
1: Because I'm trying to connect with my creator inside of it, right? and mm-hmm. be closer to God with my meditation. So that's that's how I say it. And now that I'm sitting here face-to-face with you, I'm realizing I haven't really done that for about three months, asking that question inside of my meditation. Like I need, although it's still what I'm trying to do, I just, you know, sometimes we forget what we've learned. Yeah. You know? Well, you
0: know, it's interesting because sometimes in the meditation, sometimes, you know, if you're feeling anxious, drop into the anxiety. Just drop into it. Because there is there's is so much wisdom in that. And that, you know, it's resisting it and trying to control it that is, you know, creates the the tension in the body so often. But, you know, you know, I, I've had some I've had some some challenges over the last couple of years and, you know, uh, have gone through an intense amount of grief. And sometimes I realize that in, um, you know, in, in the process, I'll actually drop into the grief because fighting it hasn't been very effective, you know? And so dropping into it, connecting with it, allowing it to express you know, it's, it, there's so much power in that.
1: Isn't it interesting? Uh, and so I, one of the things that I, um, I don't have any secrets. There's things that I can't say on podcasts for legal reasons and whatnot, but I have any secrets, right? And and so I had a really rough day um, on the 8th, whenever the however many days I would go was. And um, I came home and I went into my room The kids were upstairs and I hit my knees and I started sobbing for about 15 minutes. I just let it all out. It stayed with my grief. And then, you know, I picked myself up. I allowed myself to have that moment. I I don't throw pity parties for myself uh, very long. and But oftentimes when I get out of it, I'm really too harsh on myself Um, going, okay, man, the F up, quit being a, you know, (laughs) and, but this time I got up, I went outside and I sat down next to the pool and I started laughing. I just started laughing because I got that grief, anxiety, whatever it was out. And I realized that I'll be okay. And i will be better on the other side of it.
0: Yep. I agree. I agree, honey. And, and that's exactly, you know, what I've learned is that you know, denying those feelings is what creates so much of the pain in the physical body, so much of the manifestation of dis ease. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't make claims about this in terms of the Freedom Point work, but I can tell you that many clients who have had, you know, chronic pain or, or you know, debilitating uh, physical issues when they actually tap into and process the emotions they've been terrified of they go away and you know so I'm not claiming that I'm just saying I've seen it happen
1: <laughs> sure Yeah. No, um uh, I, so I guess I'm going to say this again, anybody who who's having any of these kind of fear issues, anxiety issues, needs a shift um, in mindset, and it's going to go beyond just the emotional piece. I'm just telling I told you guys the quick story there about how Deb helped me on a culture piece inside of my business that the great Keith Cunningham didn't get me to act on right away. Um, she is a 10 10 plus I mean, if it if you uh have somebody you like, you're going to find somebody you love right here. Um, and uh, I can't say enough about your work, Deb. And I just get, I want to get one, that last thing to the the book.
0: Um,
1: it, who is the target market for the book?
0: You know, um, because most of my clients are, you know, uh, you know, high, highly effective professionals and entrepreneurs. It really is just about, under you know helping people who want to who want to progress who want to further you know whatever it is they want in life that there's just an intention to help you get past the judgments that are associated with what we call negative emotions and so you know a lot of a lot of the people that i work with have a pattern called the need to prove. And by the way, that is a fabulous catalyst for success and excelling. The only problem is that because the need to prove is in play 24-7, you will never have enough proof that you're enough. So the need to prove that I can do it, that I'm enough, that I'm capable it's the, what I love about freedom point work, it's looking at all those behavioral patterns that have instrumental in your success, but also beginning to identify what is the downside of that particular pattern and what is the compounding effect over a couple of decades. And so even though it may have been the ultimate catalyst for success and growth, there is a point where it, where its downside begins to eclipse the upside.
1: I can and see I can see this because as we're successful inside, what do I need to prove or what do I have to prove? And we keep going and going and going. It's like uh, it's like Tony would say: there are no straight lines in nature. There's no straight lines in business, and as, at some point, you're going to have a downturn. And I can see this in my own self as, as, as you're talking about this, what I have to prove, what I have to prove, what I have to prove. I got to be the best, got to be the best, got to be the best, got to be the best competing, competing, competing against everybody in my organization. Then I bought it. Then I bought a company and I got to be the best in my industry competing, competing, competing. And then a catastrophic event happens followed by COVID and all of a sudden, what do I need to prove? And I can't prove it anymore because I proved it up here and now I'm down here.
0: Exactly. And and
1: there's a loss of identity.
0: Uh, I I remember, you know, uh, you know, one of my favorite clients, a a very, very successful entrepreneur in New Zealand um, that when we first identify and it was with him that I first identified this pattern because and and I and I realized he, he said, you know, you you're right it's the need to prove and he said and no matter how many successful companies i've built no matter how much money i'm making no matter how great my relationship is i still have to do more push-ups than the next guy no matter what
1: <laughs> you know no matter what. Uh, it, it's so I set out, uh, you know, I told you, telling you about my areas of of life outside of business. And the first one I believe we have to take care of is fitness. Because if you don't, if you're not fit, you can't show it powerfully inside of your faith, for your family, to have fun inside of your business, all of that. And so my challenge this year is to ride 3,000 miles on my Peloton, right? So by the time I get through January, I'm like, whoa, I'm at a pace that'll have me done by the end of October. And then I'm in February, I'm crushing it, and I've got this mindset of, huh wonder if I could ride 3000 miles in 30 days live across the country and raise money to, uh, get girls out of child trafficking. And so this has been pulling me along. And then last Thursday, I'm like, okay, now, now I'm on pace, Deb, to finish by the end of August. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's what I have to prove what I have to prove. Right. And So Thursday I'm like, uh, Oh, uh,
0: I, can I interrupt you, honey? Yeah.
1: Cause
0: I, th- I actually think something else is happening for you. Okay. It's there's a point at which something shifts. It's not about what do I have to prove? You are now in the mindset of what's possible. And it's not about I have to prove something. It's kind of like if I did this, what else is possible? And that mm. is the most beautiful part of that pattern, because when you get to that, there's nothing to prove anymore. You see, the, the intention of that pattern is to get to a point where there is nothing to prove, and that's where subconscious transformation takes place. I don't have a freaking thing to prove. I know who I am. Well, now what I really want to discover is what am I capable of?
1: Yeah. So Thursday, I've been I've been listening to David Goggins. I don't know if you know this guy, but.
0: No, I'm not uh, familiar with him. No.
1: Okay. This guy, he was a, uh, he's what, like the only guy ever to be a Navy SEALs, Air Force Special uh, whatever, Air, for whatever, and uh, an Army Ranger. He does these ultra 250 mile races. He was
0: yeah to, get in,
1: yeah. to get into the SEALs, he weighed over 300 pounds and he had 90 days to get to 195 pounds. So they wouldn't even let him in. And he did it. So he cut that weight when he, and it just got his mindset. So I keep, As I'm going through things, I'm like, if I've got one more breath, I've got one more step. I got one more breath. I got one more step. So Thursday, I'd heard about this challenge he does in April. It's called the four by four by 48. And you need to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Well, I've got this biking challenge, so I'm not going to do that. But I thought, okay, I'll do 10 miles every four hours for 48 hours. So I started at 4 p.m. on Friday. And I'm crushing through this thing and I get uh I did five rounds, so I got 50 miles into this thing, and I didn't do enough planning. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm not drinking enough water, right? And I realized um, well, I had this cup, I used this liquid IV stuff. And this is the only thing I can think of what happened because I hadn't been eating that much. And I had I put liquid IV in my water, and I think I had an old cup that had been sitting on my night nightstand for over a week. And as I got thirsty and I'm trying to sleep catnap, I'm like, I need more. And I grabbed this old cup and I got food poisoning. Oh, no. So I'm 50 miles into this thing and I have to, and I'm like throwing up at 11 o'clock in the morning going, I got to be on the bike in an hour. And then I thought, then I get to noon. I'm like, there's no way. So I'll wait, I'll wait like another hour and I'll jump on my mind still saying I can do this. And then a half hour later, I throw up again. I'm like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still after I feeling after I'm feeling healthy, I'm like, what's possible? Well, we can do it next weekend, you know? And, and so and I see
0: exactly. That. And so it's kind of like you, there is an intelligence that also means it is time to stop. You know, stop, recover. It's time. If you're not, you know, and your body is trying to tell you, hey, work with me here. I'll show you what we're capable of, but at least work with me to make sure that you're in a place you need to be, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I just think that everything about, you know, about a human being is infinitely intelligent and that we sell ourselves short by making so many judgments about what other people think we should think or do or feel or the way we should behave. And we shape ourselves around other people's judgments and expectations, rather than tapping into our own intelligence. And so I really just want people to understand that they have this genius within them, and that learning how to tap into it and actually cooperate with it, is where we will find our greatest uh, f- fulfillment and enjoyment and achievement, so. Right,
1: so a couple of things, hold up the book so we can see the book. Okay. <laughs> that is Freedom Point by my friend and mentor Deborah Battersby. And um, honestly, I-, I had seen it posted when you posted about a year ago and I didn't get it. And I'm after we've talked about it, I'm excited about it. I'm going to be buying Mm -hmm. it. That's no BS. I'm buying that because I know the kind of work you've done for me. And I know I can leverage that to help my clients too. Just
0: I want to show um, you something that that is the spine of the book. In the spine of the book, you see, there's the butterfly, but in the center is a human.
1: Wow. That's beautiful.
0: about? it's about human transformation
1: very very uh a very beautiful cover um so with that though how can my people get a hold of you um email phone number instagram whatever it is you want to give out here uh,
0: probably email is best i you know as much as i think social media is wonderful i rarely check it I, you know, it's just like another distraction. So I don't go there very often. And so uh, deb at successmatrix.com is how to get a hold of me. If you want my phone number, it's 630 417 7800.
1: And so- anybody else needs to get a hold of her, you can get a hold of me. If something glitched out on that video, call me. Uh, Deb, thank you so much for your time. Um, this was powerful. I, I'm inspired just being here. Going okay, there's still some shifts that I can be making, which you know always gives. I think a lot of things. If we have hope, then we know that there's an opportunity for us to to move and go forward, and and instead of just wallowing in our own misery. And uh, this was a great call. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Jared. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you.